Hello, and welcome to Once More with Commentary, a Buffy and Angel podcast. I'm Allie. And I'm Jenny. And this week, we are so excited because <laughs> we are finally talking about Hush. Yes. Um, I am really excited. And also parting gifts on Angel, but Hush is... I'm excited you know, about parting gifts also. I am too, I think, but like, I mean, Hush no, is like this compare. colossus that just right. looms over, well, most of Buffy too. I mean, yeah. it's just such a cl- like clever, well done, wonderful episode of Buffy. Okay. So I have a couple of precursors before we get into it. Number one, do you... <laughs> I've probably said this before on the podcast in the like very first episodes that we recorded, and it's possible that my memory is wrong, but this is the first episode I ever watched. This is the one that you made us all sit down in our dorm room uh, senior year and watch. It wasn't a dorm it's room, it was an apartment. Um, possible that, yeah, yes, this is I how remember, I was going to lure you to Buffy. It definitely is, because I didn't know who anybody was. I remember being really confused about the Xander and Anya stuff, um, and... That's what I have to say about this. this Which is, is, I remember you getting this DVD box set for Christmas and being like, you have to watch this one. It's this one with no dialogue. And I was like, we were, I think we all watched it. I don't think it was just me and you. But um, I did. I, I think I liked it, but like, it's not what got me into the series. What got me into it was an accidental binge watch of the second half of season <laughs> two. Where it was just like on for a while. And I was just like, oh yeah, I'll watch like one episode. And then like five episodes later, I was like crying because Angel was dead. Um, anyway. This is, stands out yeah, in my memory feel, as the thing that you introduced me to Buffy with. I feel like my logic was probably like, I'm going to show you this outstanding episode of the show, and mm-hmm. then, of course, you're going to want to watch it. But, mm-hmm. like, in hindsight, the flawed part of that logic is I had to then explain everything that's happening because <laughs> nobody's talking. <laughs> I, and I don't even think that you're alone in this. I feel like it is a thing that people often mention as, like, oh, yeah, this is a great one to, like, try and get people into the show. But I think I don't agree with that. Uh, well, who knows? Um, my other point, this isn't a point. This is just sort of a thing to mull over as we discuss this episode. So before we sat down to watch this one, um, I said to Alex that like, you know, I think this might be like a perfect, a near perfect episode of television. And I was a little annoyed because it almost is, but then I kept having, I had so many nitpicks that by the end I was like, okay, maybe this one isn't like quite that. And so now I think I'm going to reserve that judgment for once more with commentary. Not to say that the only good episodes of Buffy are the, you know, off kilter theme ones, because there's obviously many other episodes that I think we've spoken very highly of, but I don't know. I'm just curious if you have kind of thoughts about that, because in the way that I think once more, with, did I call it once more with commentary? <laughs> I'm such a oh, jerk. I think you might have. <laughs> uh, excuse me. <laughs> In the episode, the musical episode that our podcast is named after, Once More With <laughs> Feeling. <laughs> now it's like, Once More With Song? What is it even called? Um, okay, anyway, Once More With Feeling, <laughs> um, I think is going to hold that mantle for me, where it does, has this really interesting conceit, maybe doesn't need, it probably needs a lot of explanation as well if you haven't seen the show, but I guess I think that one carries even more, like, plot with it in a really natural way. And I think that was ultimately what, sorry, now I'm just getting ahead of myself, but I'm just curious if we can, if you, if you want to keep that in mind or have thoughts about it after we go over this episode. I do because I was very excited coming into this and I'm still excited after having watched it. Like I'm just announcing it. Like this is the best thing that's ever happened to our podcast. Obviously, Um, I'm really excited about it, (laughs) but I do agree with you. Like I, and I think that's part of the problem of like, taking notes while I'm watching these is like you do start to nitpick because it's like your brain is on a 
different like level than like it might otherwise be like I was like not engaged as like a fan I was engaged as like I don't want to use the word critic but like (laughs) I do but but essentially like you you start to notice the things that kind of like oh maybe things are better or like yeah you know but but I'm looking at my notes and like most of it's pretty positive there are like a couple things where I'm like I feel like this is like they just wanted to do one thing and so they just did it but it doesn't Mm -hmm. make a ton of sense yeah um yeah so I mean we'll get into it um but yeah I it's a near perfect episode I think it's near perfect I think yeah and I don't know even if I mean, I want to believe that Once More with Feeling is a perfect episode, but then I remember the Dawn stuff, and I'm like, yeah. Do we not like the Dawn stuff? I mean... Ugh, okay. That is a fight for another day. Uh, I don't want to cause any problems. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, I'm not like I'm, I ever watch Once More with Feeling and be like, that, you know, like, it's a very, very close to perfect episode. I don't think, honestly, that there really exist perfect episodes of television. I think mm, that's... I disagree. Okay. But I almost, you know, I was mentally making a list when I was like walking around the rocking around walking around town yesterday and I didn't write it down, but I should have. I almost texted I, you and was like, I almost texted you to make a list and then I was like, you need to cool it and then I just <laughs> moved on with my life. Wait, a list of perfect, Be- perfect episodes? Ep- no, or? perfect TV episodes, period. Okay, I'm actually really curious now. Can I have like three of them? No, I didn't really get that far. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, proving I just, my point. Okay. You no, don't no, even no, have no, three. No, this is no, like... no, no. Because I would, I just, had, I just needed to think about it more, and my mind was in other places. Okay, this is as far as I got, and this is not a definitive or like this is not my permanent evaluation. These are the first things that came to mind. I <laughs> was in Buffy, so I decided once more with commentary. Also, probably once I, more oh, feeling Jenny. Wow. Oh my god, I literally accepted you so hard. <laughs> I just refer to us a lot more in my day-to-day life than I do refer to that episode. Okay, great. If we could just get the rest of the Buffy fandom to follow, that would be awesome. (laughs) Um, Okay, so once more feeling, I think. And I was was trying to decide either the finale of season three, the finale of season two, and also um, I Only Have Eyes for You, I think, are ones where we were, like, really up on it. And And I was also thinking a lot about, like, what is a perfect episode of television because... Anyway, this is going to divert too much. I'll come back. No, I say go. I'm interested because (laughs) I I I think we agreed that like some of these weren't perfect episodes, but they were very close. And I, and I think, you know, perfect episode of TV to me, then also it needs to be an episode that does something that TV, that leans into the strong points of TV versus other filmed media. Okay. So you're not saying like perfect episodes where like you wouldn't change anything. No, no. I mean, I think you could always change something about even your favorite book or your favorite, you know, music or song or whatever. Because I think even with, like, once... Uh, oh, my God. Not one more <laughs> feeling. Um, I Only Have Eyes for You. Like, what we were talking about was, like, there were a lot of seeming plot holes in that. Right, like, right. you know? And so, like, so, to me, that wouldn't be a perfect episode. I think but, you're like, probably I think right. it's a perfect experience of watching it, maybe. Hmm. You know? Like, that's what I mean. Like, I don't think there are perfect episodes of TV just because of the nature of, like telling a serialized story and like especially if you're trying to juggle like a lot of well that's plot why points but and that's like why I think beats. I think once more feeling is going to work for us because there probably are a couple of things that don't work but I think it balances really well those I mean kinds I'm of like totally ready for you to talk me into it with that episode because I think that's as close as any episode of television will ever get I'm gonna when um, we get to that episode I will reevaluate my whole I will 
review all of TV that's ever been created and come back with a different list. The other two things that jumped into my head, but again, this was like, I spent five minutes thinking about this and then I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do this today. Um, but probably the season finale of six feet under and the <laughs> pilot for walking dead, which may continues to be maybe one of my favorite episodes of TV, even though I actually don't like that show at all. I just really love the pilot. Um, but I'll think about this more, but anyway, yeah, I think a great, a perfect episode of TV would have to balance, you know, a weekly story with an overarching arc that holds together, you know, that can be watched as standalone or also can be fit, but still manages to do a lot for the season arc. Those are my over, those are my initial criteria. I mean, that's not too much to ask, right? I mean, Mm -mm. but so many shows fail that bar. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and and, and again, like not every episode of a TV show can even do that because the whole thing with when you have 20 episodes to do something, you're eventually going to run into a point where you need to either move along the story or you need to take a a break and develop something. So I think, you know, we're living in a post HBO world where now everything has 10 to 13 episodes and it's a lot easier, I think, to have just a a much more tight storyline. But anyway. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like for me, I'm being highly critical and like judgy. And like, honestly, most of the times, if you were to ask me, what are your favorite episodes of television? What are the ones that you always want to go back to? They're probably some of the most flawed episodes of like right. TV shows that I love, but it's like, sometimes being successful isn't being perfect. It's no. like, you know, did you advance something really well? But I think I'm not really arguing with you. I'm like ready to yeah. talk about the perfection of once more with feeling but but (laughs) it also depends on your feelings on musicals like some people could also say it's not good because it's a musical or because the cast can't really sing that's someone else's problem that's not my problem yeah (laughs) um Um, you know that reminded me of something else I I guess the other thing that we can talk about especially with Hush and eventually with once more with feeling that doesn't make them perfect but that they that really weighs in their favor is that they have these really on the surface, like superficial, um, what, what's the word trapping, you know, they, uh, they've put on this unnecessary burden of like, Oh, this is the musical episode. This is the one where no one talks or whatever, but that neither of them, I don't think they don't, that's not the only thing they have going for them. They turn it into a tool to help develop the season. And I think that's kind of also why they end up as very good episodes because it's not just, oh, we, this is the one where we just sing and it's, like, funny. It's like, oh, this is the one where we sing, but the consequence of that is that everybody accidentally reveals everything that they've been trying to hide from one another, and then they use that for dramatic effect. So I think, and Hush, I think, is similar, where it's like, it could just be a a gimmick, but it gets more use than that. Yeah. So we should really talk about what's going on in Hush and also make me stop talking about things that aren't Hush. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I kind of want to start with Hush... Um, well, I should do the recap yeah. and then, um, and then there's like one thing I want to start with first okay. as kind of a thing, but okay, first we'll get into it. And, um, okay. So very famously, this is the, as we just said, this is the episode where no one talks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not actually true because right. there's actually a fair amount of dialogue, um, mm-hmm. in this, but at the beginning of the episode, um, Buffy's in class and, <laughs> um, she's having a dream where Professor Walsh is running some strange psychological experiment yeah. on her and Riley, and they have to, like, kiss in front of the... It's, like, a very, like, fantasy dream kind of mm-hmm. sequence thing, but it kind of morphs into 
something a little more eerie where Buffy hears a girl singing a song. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like rhymy, um, you know, fairy tale type mm-hmm. jingle thing or whatever, where she's, <laughs> um, she held, she's holding a box and she's saying, you know, a bunch of like, I don't remember it, but like Morning, something about of. like, can't even shout, can't even Can't scream. even shout, can't even scream. Yeah. Um, so she wakes up and um, realizes that she fell asleep in class, but she's more concerned with, like, the weird aspects of this dream, right? Mm-hmm. So she she goes to Giles, and Giles is like, well, maybe it could be a Slayer dream, but, like, we'll, we'll wait and find out. Mm-hmm. Um, so meanwhile, um, the town goes to sleep, and in the middle of the night, these very creepy mm-hmm. uh, demons show up. They're silent. They're not talking. And they open a box, and everyone's voices go into these boxes. Mm-hmm. I didn't know my voice looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like that in Little Mermaid, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so everyone wakes up in the morning, and no one can talk. Um, the news is calling it a town-wide outbreak of laryngitis, mm-hmm. and um, everyone's terrified, rightly so. Um, and Buffy and the gang are just confused, like, what what is going on? Like, is it supernatural? Like, you know, and the town kind of devolves into like chaos as it would when no one can really communicate and doesn't really know what's going on. Um, and so, um, everyone's kind of on high alert, Mm -hmm. but then that first night there's a few murders that happen. And so they kind of start to realize like, oh, well, no one can scream. So, there's something happening. And Buffy makes the connection between her dream and the fact that no one can talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Giles, meanwhile, is having a friend from out of town, uh-huh. come, <laughs> a sexy friend, come uh-huh. and stay. And she gets a glimpse of one of these demons. And so that gives Giles a little bit more to work on of what they look like. And he remembers a fairy tale about the gentleman mm-hmm. um, who came to a castle and like everyone lost their voices and then the princess screamed and they all died. Mm-hmm. Um, so they realize like they've got to get their voices back to kill these guys. So um, Buffy's out on the town patrolling, um, follows one of their little like henchmen people to the bell tower where they're all kind of congregating where she runs into surprise Riley, (laughs) (laughs) Commando Riley. Um, So they both kind of have this initial moment of shock that they um, are out battling these demons. But they (laughs) they team up and fight together. You can kind of see Riley is like in awe of Buffy's power. Mm -hmm. Um, And Riley smashes the box and everyone gets their voices back and Buffy screams and the gentlemen die. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we end the episode where Buffy and Riley can finally talk about what they've discovered, but they're just silent. Yeah. <laughs> um, and a couple other side plots in this is that um, uh, Buffy and Riley, like, obviously know that they like each other, mm-hmm. but they haven't really kissed, as Buffy's mm-hmm. saying, like, talking's getting in the way. So they do have their first kiss when they're first run into each other on the mm-hmm. town in civilian clothes before they find out what's going on. And also Wicca, um, Willow is exploring <laughs> her, <laughs> let's call her Wicca, um, <laughs> Willow is exploring her Wicca um, club and kind of getting a little disappointed with it. Like they're more into bake sales than spells. But Mm -hmm. in the course of these events, she discovers that at least one other member of this group can Mm -hmm. do, um, can do spells and they combine their powers to block themselves in a laundry room to Mm -hmm. avoid the gentleman. Um, But notably, this is the introduction of Tara. So 
Um, we don't know much about her at this point. Mm-hmm. Other than she's very shy and also a witch. Yeah. So. <laughs> yep. That uh, is the worst review of Hush ever. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I did not do it justice. I should have written an outline for this one. It doesn't it's help. Right. There's just so much going on. and I mean, there is always a lot going on. Yeah. Um, okay, but the first thing that I wanted to say mm-hmm. was... Um, so this is the only episode of Buffy to ever be nominated for an Emmy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's notable because it is an episode with only 17 minutes of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think it's just the way they do this. I mean, this is Joss Whedon writing like... He wrote this, right? Oh, my God. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was yeah. just assuming. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. Yes, it was yeah, written he, okay. and directed, and directed. by Phew. Okay. I was pretty sure about that, but yeah. before I start saying he got nominated for an Emmy, I should check on that. Yeah. Um, so he was, and I think it's deserved. I mean, I think this yeah. is showing what you can do by stretching the boundaries of, like, a TV episode. Like, yeah, exactly. there aren't very many episodes of TV where no one talks. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not that no one talks, but also I think the conceit of how everyone doesn't talk and, like, the way they communicate without, I mean, it's just really well done. I mean, it we is. talked about, you know, a few minutes ago, it's not perfect, but No, and I, and and to be clear, I think the things that aren't perfect are small plot contrivances that, like, mm-hmm. yeah, should you clean that stuff up? Yes, but I, I don't think anything about the, like, the conceit, I think, works. The villains work. I think the drama works. I think the comedy works. It's really just that, like, oh, like, why are they still keeping Spike around? Like, literally just to have these funny moments. That's the only reason that he's there. Yeah. So, like, some of those excuses for, like, why people are in the places that they are, I think those things are the things that I was kind of picking apart as, like, well, that's just a that's just a thing, a contrivance. And this, oh, that also doesn't really make sense. You just needed that person to be there. And that stuff does annoy me, but it wasn't, like, I didn't have too many questions about like, why would any of this be whatever? Like, why didn't they just blah, 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 you know, as a little, so I guess those are the things that I had nitpicks about, but not like actually anything substantial. Yeah. And you know, it's like, I think everything that we get from it is just so good. I mean, the gentlemen are right. widely regarded as some yeah. of the best <laughs> villains ever on the show. They're creepy as hell. They're, funny they're so and funny. they're also like just so scary too i mean I, this yeah. episode is a great horror episode it is it and really the, is and the other thing that i think you know the other thing that this episode is playing on is fairy tales and while it's not ironically you know shape of water level making its own fairy tale out of kind of nothing it is um i think kind of like a not i don't want to say precursor i guess i'm just it is a pared down version of like well yeah he didn't write a whole fairy tale and film this completely on that theme, but it does filter it in a way that I like, you know, I'm not doing a very good job of explaining what I mean. I just think that like, yeah, they, in the episode, they say these are uh, fairy tale characters. They're not, that's not a real fairy tale. At least as far as I can tell, it's not a no. real thing. So it's just a thing no. that Joss Whedon made up, but it, it works on that level. And yeah, like it feels, it feels like it could be true. I guess is what I'm trying to say. It feels like this could easily be, if I had looked this up and it actually was one of Grimm's fairy tales, like it wouldn't be weird. I wouldn't have been like, Oh, cause that sounds really unlike anything. That's part of that. If it feels exactly like a fairy tale. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, and I think you kind of get that whole sort of dark fairy tale mm-hmm. mood throughout. And yeah. also like, and then, I mean, I think 
the use of noise in this episode mm-hmm. is really amazing because like no one is talking for a lot of it, mm-hmm. but it's not silent. Like no. you're not watching a silent film. Like there are noises like Tara banging on doors and, mm-hmm. um, you know, phones ringing and people jumping because of that. And mm-hmm. like, it's just, you kind of start to realize how noisy the world still is mm-hmm. even when no one's talking. And it's, I mean, yeah, would that's a good it point. escalate in 24 hours from, you know, pleasant suburbia to trash fires in the street i don't know i don't, Maybe, I don't think so that was like my big <laughs> thing with this episode was like how it went from like normal to dystopia in like three hours but like that's sure. interesting i don't know though yeah. it would be really jarring to be like it's not that everyone you know in there's a moment where they get like a broadcast from a nearby local news station or whatever and they're saying like oh it's all laryngitis but like in laryngitis you could still you would yeah. feel it. So like the fact that you're literally opening your mouth and no sound is coming out, I think would be really, really disconcerting. Like, But would you like run outside and light your trash can on fire? I mean, I wouldn't, but I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why that really bothered me. It just felt like a very, I mean, like, every time, every time of... sports teams win games, people yeah. set trash cans on fire. So I don't feel like the bar is that high. <laughs> um, the gentleman won the World Series. Yeah. <laughs> I'd riot for that. No, I wouldn't. Um, well, okay, before we get too far along into this, I did so- semi-intentionally name drop Shape of Water because one of the lead uh, ju- actors playing the gentleman is Doug Jones, who's now the hot rage. Just kidding. He's been important he for a long time. Was he the fish time. guy? Mm-hmm. He's the fish guy, and he's the monsters in Pan's Labyrinth. Oh. He's the creepiest monster, and he's also the fawn. Um, oh God, is he the one with the eyes? Uh-huh. And he's also, <gasps> he's also in Hellboy. He's in all Guillermo del Toro's movies. Um, <laughs> Cause he's very tall. I mean, and he's a, he's a well-known monster creature actor. That's like what he's most famous for. I mean, not to say that he doesn't also have some speaking roles and stuff, but. Um, Wait, was he on stage when they won best picture? I didn't watch any of the Oscars, but yeah. I would assume so. Yeah. I mean, and he's, he's been in the, in the news a lot lately because Awkwardly, there was a senator race <laughs> with oh. a Doug Jones. And then it was literally at the same time as Shape of Water was getting a lot of buzz. And it was like, we we're constantly talking about Doug Jones. And I was like, which one? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I just want to call him out. I think he does, he does a great job. I mean, they all do a great job, but it's very fun to just see how much he can convey silently, which I guess is, again, like everybody's doing a pretty good job with that. But I think the gentleman in particular, you know, um, they have to be scary without even saying anything, and they do it by being very proper. <laughs> so and let's being, talk about the gentlemen yeah. because they are gentlemen. They That's are. what's crazy is they're here to murder you, but they're going to be crazy polite about it. Yeah, well, like they're going to knock other. on your door. That's true. Well, <laughs> they're they're leaving the physical violence to their little like Igor henchmen, mm-hmm. and they're like polite with each other which I love I, do, I never don't love the scene where they I mean this is so gruesome to talk about it this way but the first student that they murder in the dorm or whatever they have like a scalpel that they're going to use to take out his heart because that's what they need um and there's two of them on either side of the bed and they very politely just you know gesture their head to as, as so to say no 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 you I invite you <laughs> to take the like, honors they do a very yeah. polite back and forth that like one would expect oh no you first and they do the hand waves of like uh obviously no one can see me but you I think it's clear oh no 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 yeah. you first yeah <laughs> my favorite is me. when <laughs> they're presenting they have like three of their hearts oh, or whatever yeah. <laughs> and they they do the little clap mm-hmm. and I always find myself <laughs> clapping with <Yeah>. them <laughs> 
And then the one guy's like, oh, stop. Oh, stop. That's Doug Jones. The one doing yeah, and, the and stop. And all of it is completely silent, but you yeah. can totally follow along yeah. with what's happening where it's like this like modest like, oh, me? Oh, oh, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. No, don't, don't, don't clap for me. <laughs> well, I mean, and not to, yeah, not to just harp on this, but I don't think it's a coincidence that like this guy now is a, you know semi-Oscar winning performer because he really is bringing more to this than I think kind of the, a lot of the performers and a lot of the monsters are great in Buffy, but I think he is kind of bringing it even more than it it could have been in the hands of someone else. Like he really is making it all of them, but especially him, I think. Yeah. I I mean, I think these are the most like for, for one episode villains, Mm -hmm. like they are maybe the most developed among some of the villains because like, you kind of get what they're about. It's a group of demons and mm-hmm. wearing suits. Like yeah. they're they're essentially gently through town. Every, yeah, in every sense of the word, they're like so, move softly. They don't make any noise. They they're super polite with each other. They're they're gentlemen, mm-hmm. and it's but they're so evil. Yeah. Um, it, and it reminds me too about I and I I'll have to figure out a better way to kind of drill into this, but. It's like with the mayor where like there is something really delightful about watching someone do something so evil, but be really nice about it while they're doing it. Like it's just a fun juxtaposition. Like it kind of never doesn't work for me. No, I agree because I think it's just in some ways it kind of makes sense. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, sort of being polite is kind of a discipline and like to be that evil, you right. need to be kind of disciplined. Right. And like, I buy it for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, like they're oh, lawful, lawful evil. Yeah, but yeah, um, the gentlemen, though, I think work on every level. That they like they're terrifying. They're well, funny. Yeah. I think the but I think that's my favorite part about them is they're funny and they never say a word. Yeah, and the thing that we haven't said yet, but is you know obviously true, is that I think their makeup is particularly well designed. Like they just look very creepy in an, and they don't do the thing that often happens in Buffy and all kind of monster shows even in the present day where it's like they're not falling into that werewolf what's the word not uncanny valley but yeah like they're not like a where the werewolf designs where they never don't look like a man in a gorilla suit like they look like they look like something that's still human but it's very heightened and creepy like the actual makeup is is very well done Right, and I think that's part of what works about them too. Is they mm-hmm. look very human, like right. They look like humans who just got put through like a demon filter. Yeah, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I think that. I mean, they almost look like. Um, I think visually, there's a lot that's borrowed from the gentleman for the vampires in yeah. season seven. Yeah, um, I think they look Definitely. a lot alike. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, no. Every everything about them is done really well. I mean, even I don't really get their little like mental patient Igor mm, kind of yeah. apish looking. Yeah, unclear kind of what yeah what they're supposed to be, but like it's like they're pets. I don't I don't know. Mm. Um, okay, but so you know, one thing that I was thinking about watching this episode was realizing how of its time it was okay. because you could not make this episode today. Because it doesn't hold up because none of this is a threat with that with texting and smartphones. Mm. Like, <laughs> Touché, like <yeah. laughs> oh, people are here that. to murder me, help nine one or like, you know, if like someone gets a nine one one call off or um 
even with like all the stuff where they had to buy the whiteboards to talk, like mm-hmm. it's really funny, but like, I mean, Giles could do his little presentation on like a group chat, you mm-hmm. know, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. or something like, <laughs> That's I just, a great point. I feel like, um, like it could still theoretically work in that, um, you know, like this could happen, but I feel like people a lot don't of live the, really a lot digital of the, lives anyway. So yeah, <laughs> but I also feel like a lot of the charm of this episode and a lot of the horror of it gets lost because like, um, you know, that scene where Buffy picks up the phone and like, yeah. she can't talk like, well, yeah. Xander could just text her. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I just feel like a lot of what makes this episode work and like work really well, like mm-hmm. you couldn't, because cell phones ruin all of it. It's so funny though. That literally didn't occur to me. I was so lost in the magic of the episode that I didn't even, I didn't even stop to think about that. I, I usually do when I'm watching horror movies, especially old ones are like, Oh, if you could just text them, it'd be fine. But, um, I guess maybe the modern day equivalent then would, they would have to put a spell on electronics as well. Well, no, because they said like recorded voices don't work. So I think, no, no, no. But I mean, if they made it so that people, you know, they could shut down the, um, I don't sell towers or something. Yeah. In addition but to I, taking their voices. But yeah, like they'd I was, have to be a little more technologically advanced to pull this off today. Yeah. Like I was thinking about um that scene this occurred to me in the scene where Riley is like trying to like figure out what Buffy's telling him to do. Mm-hmm. And like I was like, well, she just texted him, like this wouldn't even like this wouldn't even happen. I feel like feel like you would lose so much of the magic. Like but on the other hand, that's something that I always, like, in the first few seasons, at least, of, like, Vampire Diaries that was always kind of clever was I think they made good use of cell phone technology mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it was, like, realizing the the ways you can make it kind of work for the narrative. But mm-hmm. I feel like with Hush, it's just, it's an episode that could only be written before smartphones, right. I think. Because it wouldn't occur to you that, or maybe it would, but I don't know. I just, that that to me was, like, something that, like, kind of dated the episode but also kind of preserved it in this way where I was like oh I just don't like we're not gonna get this again yeah yeah I mean there's definitely whole days that I've gone where I don't say a single word to someone but I've also spoken to many people (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah that's interesting I can't believe that didn't even occur to me though I was just like yeah (laughs) well speaking of um technology my Mm -hmm. favorite thing one of my favorite scenes in this whole episode is Giles's presentation yes um (laughs) On the overhead projector. (laughs) And those transparency sheets and, like, Mm -hmm. all of that was, like, so, like, 1990s, early 2000s, like, you know, so many classes I sat through where that was how they, like, now they just plug in a laptop and run a slideshow, Mm -hmm. but, like, that's how you used to do it. It's, like, these little transparency sheets. Yeah, we did that all all through high school and into college. Yeah. Do you think there are people watching Buffy now who, like, don't don't know what what it is? is? Yes. They probably also don't know what the real phone is. Yeah, that too. But <laughs> I mean, I think enough people still have landlines, but like an overhead projector. Yeah, is like, that's funny. There yeah. must be, it must still be filtering around in some schools. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, I, but I also love the note. Like it's so true to life of like his slides are up like backwards. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> like that happened all the time where teachers would have to like flip them over and like, you know. Um, but also like his little drawings are that, just gruesome. That scene is also great though, because I just love the notion. Like, this is the thing that was like, okay, yeah. On the face. No, this doesn't make any sense. Why would Giles do it this way? Like he could have literally just written it out. Like he didn't need to draw it. He didn't need to draw blood. on. He got a red marker to like emphasize <laughs> the blood on one of them. But it's like, Giles just has a flair for the dramatic or he just needed to do it this way. Like the pacing this of that scene is saying, yeah, like, the pace- like, I know how to turn this into comedy. Gold. Yeah. 
It is, and I, but I love it. Like, it totally works for me, even though, yeah, is there a better way Giles could have explained this? Probably, but I mean, he but probably like still the, needed to use the projector. I just am saying yeah. he could have used more words and fewer drawings. Yeah. Like, but he's I, not but really I conveying love, anything essential with his creepy drawings. Yeah, but, but then without the drawings, we don't get the interplay of everyone's reactions no, to them. No, of course. Like, like, I mean, my favorite is thing is, like, Giles is showing, like, evil stuff happening on screen, and Anya's, like, nodding eating along, popcorn. like, yeah. <laughs> She's eating popcorn. It's, like, a yeah. little show for her. <laughs> and also that she totally gets, like, where the demons are coming from. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love, like, Buffy's reaction to, like, Giles drawing her hips too wide yeah, yeah. and, like, all this stuff like that. And, like, how everyone thinks they're all doing, like, like she's making, like, dirty. Yeah, dirty hand gestures. motions. <laughs> yeah, that scene is funny. I mean, the whole episode does get a lot of physical and, like, miming comedy done. And it is surprising that it's, like... Not surprising, I guess, but it is a very one-for-one, like, oh, the kind of witty banter and the kind of off-kilter dialogue that we've grown used to as the source of humor in Buffy, he still pulls it off exactly the same way, only without words. Like, I do think that's fairly impressive. (laughs) I would agree. I think the fact that, like, I could imagine them doing all of these scenes with dialogue, like, Mm -hmm. is a testament to the fact that, like, he totally pulled it off without any dialogue. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Um, yeah. So, God, there's so many other things to talk about. I want to kind of go back to the very beginning of this episode with Buffy's dream, her, okay. her in-class dream. Mostly because, I, especially in season four, I think there's going to be a couple of other pretty big dream episodes um, that I'm unsure of how convinced I'm going to be by them. And, you know... Uh, what I'm trying to say is that I actually thought this was one that worked really, really well. And I think because it actually did feel quite dreamlike to me, it seemed pretty genuine to the experience, but also it was a very good um, misdirect. Like it was one that is like, yeah, it takes you a minute to catch on to what's happening because it did feel really real in the beginning. Um yeah, and because it's a psychology class and we've already been introduced to the fact that Professor Walsh is running some government like mm-hmm. program, like what isn't she capable of? Would she put two students in front of the room mm-hmm. to like and, and also that Riley's like seems angry about it? And, yeah, like, yeah. Like the way that they play it seems very yeah. like that is how it would happen. But it also does feel like the sort of way that you would have a daydream where you're like, Oh, what? How did this get out into left field all of a sudden? But like it got there very gradually. Well, um, also I I thought as a daydream it made a lot of sense yeah. because like Buffy's frustration of, like, not being able to figure out a way to, like, just finally kiss Riley. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, if someone's putting you in a situation where they're forcing you to do it, how easy would that be? Like, awkward maybe to do it in front of the class, but convenient, right? Yeah. I totally Um, buy that as a daydream of someone who's like, but what if this just happened? mm -hmm. Me too. Um, Although I have to say I've never been able to make much sense out of Riley's line in the dream where he says, if I kiss you, it'll make the sun go down. Do you have any thoughts about that? No, other it, than, like, then the sun does go down. Right. <laughs> so, like, that's the, your introduction to, like, it's kind of a dream. Okay. Like, I think that's, like, this maybe is there's more that, meaning, but I'm not getting it. But I've I never, think yeah. it's the transition from daydream to actual dream. Like, okay. it's a weird thing for him to say, and then they kiss, and then... And then it's a more nightmare. It does go down, yeah. ...setting. The other thing that, maybe I knew this once upon a time, but I had completely forgotten um, that the little girl who's singing her little gentleman song is a Nightmare Before Elm Nightmare on Elm Street um, reference. Oh, I've, I've never seen Nightmare on Elm Street. So. I actually haven't either, um, which is why I didn't I don't pick it up on to, my own. But... 
Um, <laughs> but worth calling out, you know, especially yeah. for an episode that is particularly horror driven, I think, um, makes sense that there's some horror movie references <laughs> going on. <laughs> but from the, the position of this episode, is that supposed to be Buffy? I could never decide. I yeah. kind of thought it was, but hard to say, cause it's not the same actress that I don't think is the same actress that plays her in other episodes. Yeah. Okay. But sorry. I just, my other notes about the dream though, there's a lot of, it's funny. Cause I guess one could say that this is heavy handed, but I really enjoyed it. Like the things that professor Walsh is saying are also very, like she says about Buffy, like as she's like bringing her up to the front of the class, like, Oh, a typical college girl one assumes. And it's like, Oh yeah. Hey, that is kind of what this show is about, how she appears to be normal, but isn't. And also this is the episode where we're going to find out that like Riley's also not what he appears to be. And she also tells Riley, like, be a good boy, which is very astute on the actual relationship that they have. You know, that's going to come up again down the line where she's going to kind of both play a motherly role to him, but also be a like out of control authority figure who's going to demand that he fall in line. I don't know. Well, and also, a lot of those I things were very spot on. This- yeah, and I think it's sly commentary. Riley is a good boy, yeah, right? Right, like exactly. He's, he follows orders and he's trying to... Yeah, I, I agree. I didn't even pick up on that, mm-hmm. but yeah. We kind of mentioned this before, too, but this episode is hilarious. <laughs> Everything about it is funny. When they're talking, it's funny. When they're not talking, it's funny. There's a whole scene where Buffy accidentally tells Riley that she's going patrolling and then just, just insists that she said petroleum. That's <laughs> like, that one doesn't make any sense at all, but it was so funny that I was like, I love this. This is so crazy. <laughs> well, it's hilarious, but I also think it makes the point of like, Buffy keeping this from Riley is more difficult than maybe she expected. Like, yeah, yeah. Because, like, I think it's sort of hinting that, like, she kind of wants to tell him. That's you know? true. Like, you know, because she has in the past, like, <clears throat> had to keep this from people. And, and she wasn't ever very good at it. No, but, she's not. <laughs> um, but I think it's, like, just, like, a hint of, like, she, you know, and we see Riley having the same frustrations of, like, if only I could just tell her. And, mm-hmm. um, and so it all kind of comes out in the open. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of this episode. Um, but I also, sorry, <laughs> just other things that made me laugh. I understand that Forrest has issues, especially the way that they introduce him in the first episode. I wish they, you know, Forrest is a character that I think could have been really great. And instead they kind of saddled him with some, kind of misogynist baggage that he didn't really need. Right. Um, but the scene in the elevator when him and Riley can't talk and they're trying to like do the code to get like push a secret code to get into the, you know, whatever their secret facility, but he just writes on his little paper. He just says, come on, come come on, on, come on. It's just hilarious. Like, why would anyone do that? But he he really sells it to me, and I, I laugh like, a lot. You're dying, but you're going to take the time to write, come, <laughs> come, on, come on, come on. I mean, what else is he going to write? I don't yeah. know. I also love the little gag at the end of that where yeah. they finally come off the elevator, and Professor Walsh just points to the, the sign stairs. that's like, take the stairs. Uh, I mean, like, that also doesn't make any sense. Why would there be no security in the stairwell? But whatever. <laughs> so this is another thing that kind of um, stood out to me, though, was that scene where they – they leave and they go down into the elevator because mm-hmm. everyone's kind of standing around their house, like confused. Mm-hmm. That to me signaled like not everybody. Their house is either not everybody <laughs> in the initiative or is because wouldn't then people be like, why are you guys going to the basement? Because yeah. they kind of signal like we got it, we got it, we're gonna go check out what's going on. But like, wouldn't that confuse a lot of people mm-hmm. if they weren't in the initiative? So uh, my assumption that- was that it was all initiative. Yeah, that's my assumption okay. now. Like, I think that... That was my assumption of, earlier. 
I don't okay. know why. See, I for me, that. I was like still like I didn't okay. know what we were supposed to think. But but that was my point. Was like it makes no sense to have like a. I guess the secret entrance is like for other people like to not find out. Yeah. Like if you have guests and they wander down into the basement or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah. But I, I guess it's supposed to be a house of initiative people who so. like to have parties. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. I just saw another one of my notes. We already talked about Giles's little presentation, but yeah, I'm sorry. He plays like dramatic classical music to score his little cinema scene. Like he's just being very extra. <laughs> Giles. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> Uh, Giles. Well, also, if you think about it, is this really one of the first times this season where there's been something where everyone has to deal with it? And, like, mm. Giles is back in his old watcher mode of, like, I know what's going on. Maybe. I know what we yeah, have to do. That's true. He's, like, he's really like, living it up. <laughs> yeah, like, they're, they're, in, they're not in a library, but they're in a school mm-hmm. space, like, you know, mm. this auditorium. And he's... That's a good point. Taking his moment to like lead the team again in a way that he hasn't been asked to do this entire season. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think he's being a little extra about it, but I think <laughs> that's he's, a great he's point. just he's, he's been ignored for so long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay. I think the other things that we haven't touched on yet are the little side dalliances in this episode. You know, Giles has his lady friend, Olivia, visiting him. And she was in an earlier episode this season. No. Yeah. She's in The Freshman. The very first one. Was she? Mm-hmm, because Buffy goes there to try and tell Giles she's having a hard time and he's like living a bachelor life in a robe. <laughs> and oh, Olivia's right. there okay. as well. <laughs> I mean, I like that there's some carryover. I kind of wish she came back, but. I forgot. You're right. Yeah, she is in that one. And then, because that's like, she's like, did you help her or whatever? Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. Okay. I really like wow, their interactions. I totally forgot about that. And I also do really appreciate that every once in a while they make a point to like show that Giles either had a life or has a life outside of, you know, the way that the students, you know, Buffy and Willow have all their personal drama that like Giles has a little bit of that as well. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I always I think like the implication those. at the end of this episode is like Giles's life is too much for her. Right. Which is sad for him, but also Tara, I yes. want to talk about her a little more. I have to say that <laughs> as with Riley, as with Riley, no, I liked Riley the first time I watched the show. Um, I, Tara used to really bother me in the early episodes that she's in. Um, but I think I'm kind of turning around on her. I think I am finding her charming in ways that I haven't always. I think to me, what's most striking is this first introduction to Tara and even where she ends up, say the big very first episode of season five Mm -hmm. is like almost two different characters. Like they had a characterization that they kind of abandoned Mm -hmm. Or, or maybe the implication is Willow changes her. I don't know. But, like, to me, this version of Tara is unrecognizable to the character that we get. Yeah, because Tara is going to always be shy. And she's always going to be a little awkward. But there's yeah. something about the way she's playing it in these early ones that doesn't really work. Yeah, but that it's said, a little I did... more, like, I'm terrified to speak at all. Right, right, right. But maybe, I don't know. I think that is kind of a, a transition that, that someone could make. Yeah, no, I, I buy it. It's just, like, because it a lot of it happens off screen. Yeah. It just, it's a, especially, like, she shows up here. It's just, like, her hair's all in her face. And yeah. she's kind of, like, you know, kind of twitchy. Yeah. It's, like, yeah, it's it's jarring a little it bit. It is a little like, bit. I was, like, oh, like, if this had been your only episode, you are an entirely forgettable character. Yeah, that's true. 
<laughs> um, but I did think she was cute. Yeah. And their little interaction is interesting. You know, it's nice. Nice introduction. I guess I don't have that much to say about Tara, other than I'm liking her more than I thought I would. Well, and she's the first one to really recognize, like, you know, Willow has done all these spells in the past, and she's been called upon to do some pretty big ones. Mm-hmm. Like, her first bit major spell was that one to restore his <laughs> right, soul. Right, so, right. so we're supposed to believe that she has some power, but she's also always talking about how her spells go wrong. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is sort of implying that she's not a very good witch. And Tara's the first one to sort of vo- voice this idea that, like, Willow is actually incredibly Super powerful. powerful. That's a good point. Hmm. Um, and the idea, I think, being that, like, they kind of channeled their power together and Tara can tell mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Willow's got a lot of, it, like, power there. Yeah. And and I think the idea is, like, she just doesn't know how to focus it. Right. Um, and I guess Tara can help her do that. But, yeah, she's the first one to really voice, like, what we're going to find out is, like, people should be kind of scared of Willow. <laughs> it's interesting, too, because then, you know, I guess there is kind of this alternate version where if Willow had never met Tara, I wonder if she would have been able to get in touch with her powers the way that she does. Because probably, I feel like what you're saying is I'm going to be on the lookout for this in the future, but, like, maybe Willow had kind of hit a wall with, like, learning from books. You know, it's clear that Giles, I think Giles is a little more aware of that than what you're saying, but also not totally. But I think that Giles maybe would have continued to kind of try and block her from it, and maybe she would have never gotten past a certain point. Whereas like, I think, you know, it, we're going to find out later, right. That, or Tara even said this, that like her mom was a witch. Like she has, she's known about these things and has like kind of a more organic connection to it than Willow does. But I think by her introducing that to Willow, she's going to really push her into another echelon of witchery. I, yeah, I'm like just curious what would have happened without Tara. Yeah, I mean, the implication, I think, is that Willow hit a wall. That's why she's trying to join this Wicca group right. and why she's really disappointed that, like, they're, they don't Not really doing anything. Or a thing. Yeah. And, like, um, you know, she's, as she calls them, a bunch of wanna blessed bees, yeah. which I it is a funny I line. line. <laughs> um, but I think she has kind of hit a, a plateau. And so I think it, like, Tara, as much as, like, she becomes, like, this sort of personal like journey for willow as well like i think Mm -hmm. it ties in where yeah she does she acts as like an anchor for willow to try things that like giles probably wouldn't want her to try or she's a little bit more experienced doing some of these spells so she's like kind of knows what she's doing she's more of a guide but i guess what i'm saying also a push like i think i guess what i'm saying is like maybe this is sort of a a discussion of fate you know would Everything that's going to happen with Willow and Tara, and especially with Willow, you know, would they have avoided that if they had never met? Like, it's kind of a tragedy, right? Of like, yeah, like Tara is the thing that's going to introduce, that's going to make it possible for Willow to do things that are going to lead to her death down the road. (laughs) I guess it doesn't lead to her death, but sort of. Uh, Anyway, I'm just saying I think that is an interesting, you know, would Willow have found this some other way because she's destined for this or is Tara the link to it and without Tara it would be tragic because they would have never met and they would have never fallen in love but also they would have maybe both survived. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. Um, I mean, that's something we can discuss down the road but I do think it is a very interesting conundrum of like Tara is both the the reason for... Mm -hmm. Willow knowing she has this power, but also the reason Willow sort of abuses it as well. And she's also going to be the one that wants her to draw more than anyone. She's the one that wants her to rein it in, but she's also the one that introduces it to her. Right. 
yeah. Interesting. Um, well, I'm excited to see more of that develop. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I like an overall, um, idea of this episode that I really like that they kind of explore is like, and this, this has to do with a lot of Buffy's conversations about Riley mm-hmm. in the beginning is like sometimes talking does kind of just get in the way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Of like, if you have to talk about everything, you're just like, you don't know how to stop talking or, and like, I think this episode is kind of an idea of like, when talking is not an option, mm-hmm. like, it's just like, what, how do you, you communicate? Do yes, something. but also like, you have to like take action, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think we see that play out a little bit more on the personal side yeah, of things. I but, agree. um, you know, both with like, Buffy and Riley finally kissing, but also kind of with Willow of like, you know, she can't verbalize a spell. So the only thing left to her is telekinesis and like, but she has to take action or she will die. And like Tara helps her with that. But I do like this idea of like, you know, and and also Xander, like he's having trouble verbalizing his feelings about Anya, but like he thinks Spike has killed her and he (laughs) takes action. Like, because that's the only way to really communicate his feelings. So like, I think everybody has that breakthrough of like, they just stop talking and they, they kind of get past like this wall that they had. It is interesting though, because I, I think that it works better in the Willow and Xander situations a little bit, because I think in the Buffy one, it is a little bit more forced because I tradition in this particular situation with Riley, it does seem like talking is getting in the way. But that also is a thing that only, like, that feels like they weren't having a problem with it last episode. You know, this is something that's new for this episode, so they kind of make that point. And I think also traditionally, like, Buffy has no problem doing action. It's not as though, like, an issue with the Scoobies is that they talk too much and then don't save the world. Like, they're a pretty good balance of that already. So I guess the one, I think, in Buffy's situation in this episode feels a little bit more forced than with the other ones where it kind of makes sense kind of with where they're at personally. But I do like the conceit yeah although I do kind of like the idea that like Buffy and Riley have done so much like intentional like let's get to know each other yeah, kind of that's thing, true. That, like yeah. they don't really know then how to like advance that that's true yeah yeah because oh. so. Riley is too much of a gentleman mm. <laughs> and he sees what kind of life that leads to yeah <laughs> just kidding <laughs> uh. okay. um yeah, so I, I noticed in this episode, I think I mentioned this to you a little bit before, is that Buffy's really embracing the pashmina <laughs> as a look. Um, feels very, like, of its time yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah. Also, her, like, you know, um, her, like, ankle-length skirt and, mm-hmm. like, all that stuff. is a, Buffy's living her early 2000s life here. She really is. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, so that's Hush. Yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a broken record. I'll just say it again and again and again. Like, yeah, this is, uh, I think, universally a well-loved episode yeah. of Buffy. So. Agreed. Um, okay. So uh, moving on to Angel. Parting We've gifts. We've got parting gifts. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, big things in this one. It is. And I, I did like this episode. I am also definitely going to kind of stumble through this summary, but I will try and keep it very brief. (laughs) Um, So, you know, picking up where we left off uh, with Hero, Doyle sacrificed himself nobly um, for once. (laughs) Just kidding. Anyway, um, so the beginning of the episode, Angel is like complaining to the oracles about how it needs um, Doyle back because 
now he has no connection to the powers that be and they sort of, you know, uh, cheekily tell him like, eh, ha, ha, where one door opens, like another one opens. That's not how the phrase goes. Anyway, suffice it to say, it's clear, we find out early in this episode that Doyle has passed on that power to Cordelia. So while Cordelia is trying to do an audition for like an ad campaign, she suffers her first vision that obviously, you know, it gives her a huge headache. It's really painful or whatever. Um, so this is kind of the theme of this episode is that Cordelia now it has the visions that Doyle once had. And she, unlike Doyle, wasn't really prepared for it and is also so like distracted by the fact that this is happening to her at all that she doesn't really get a lot of good information out of it. So Angel isn't really able to act on it. But meanwhile, a demon shows up at Angel Investigations looking for their help. And he says that he's been followed across several states by this guy who's hunting him and he doesn't know why and blah, blah, blah. So this empath demon whose name is Barney, you know, seeks their help. And so Angel agrees to help him. But we find out that the demon, the guy who's been chasing him is actually Wesley, who's now a rogue demon hunter, according to him. What's a rogue demon? (laughs) Um, So, you know, there's basically, as the story develops, Doyle, I'm sorry, Wesley, in his post-watcher life, has decided to just hunt demons on his own, except he's not very good at it at all. And so he's been chasing this demon that he thinks is stealing parts off of other demons that are valuable, um, like that are the source of their strengths or powers or whatever, um, for some purpose. There's a lot of misdirection in this episode. He's maybe chasing the wrong guy, but, and so they, I guess I don't really want to get into that, but suffice it to say the guy who showed up at angel investigations, Barney comes to them as though he's innocent and being chased for no reason. But it actually turns out that he is the one that's been chasing various demons around the area and stealing their, um, valuable pieces because he's going to go sell them at an auction for the very wealthy, including Wolfram and Hart's representatives. Um, so he is actually there once he finds out that Cordelia has now this like vision of, you know, vision of the future. <laughs> he, uh, takes her, <laughs> kidnaps her and tries to auction her off as a seer or at least auction off her eyes. Um, and eventually Wesley and Angel, <laughs> figure out what's gone on and save the day (laughs) that's kind of a very very bad summary um i probably missed something at the end there (laughs) i think the most important takeaway i mean like you could argue i mean we kind of see some important things come back in this episode Mm -hmm. like obviously you know wolfram and hart is back Mm -hmm. in the game a little bit um and Wesley shows up. But I think the two main things are that Wesley is now here. Mm-hmm. And that, that Cordelia has, has Doyle's visions. Yeah. Like, as Angel says at the end of the episode, in sort of, like, wonder slash slight horror, as anyone would, like, <laughs> realizing Cordelia has been given this vast responsibility, yeah. she is now his link to the powers that be. Yes. And I think that is the best thing the writers did after Doyle left, because... I. It immediately gives Cordelia an actual reason to be mm-hmm. there beyond pretending that this is a job that's going to give her more money than side acting gigs right, or whatever. Right, right, Because they always talk about how they never get any money. So, like, what is she still doing for money? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but this gives her an actual reason to be there. Yeah. And, um, and I think yeah. it's great. I agree. And I, I, I guess the other thing, though, is that Wesley immediately works for me. There's almost yes. no downtime. Like, I didn't at all miss Doyle. And particularly in the very final scene, you know, cause like, again, I, I, I really like this episode. I think it was tough to do a summary on partially because I didn't take notes, but also because there are like 
50 different pivots where it's like, it's about this. No, now it's about this. No, now it's about this. So so without getting into all of that, I think um, where the episode ends up, you know, is that all three of them are sitting around the table in Angel's apartment eating breakfast and they're sitting there like a family. And like, I didn't even think, I didn't even blink about it. I was just like, oh my God, now it finally feels like we have a core team together. And I'm like impressed. I think it must mostly be due to Wes, you know, it's mostly due to uh, Allison, uh, Alexis Denisoff that like, he just immediately fits in there. I mean, the writing is is fine. I think that they have also done a good job of introducing him, but there really is something about him that just needs no explanation, kind of. And maybe it's this shared history they all have. Right, of, I like, think that is a lot of it. Spending time on Buffy together, but I also think it's, you know, I, th- I think I talked about this last time, but the problem, one of the problems with Doyle was the energy he brought yeah. to the show was too similar to the energy they were focused on Angel. Mm-hmm. And like Wesley, you know, he doesn't stay this way, but ultimately he's introduced as like more comic relief. Yeah. And um, his energy level like is the third part of this triangle of like yeah. that really balances out. And like that scene where they're sitting in the kitchen and yeah. Cordelia is like happily telling him like we get eggs yeah. and like all this stuff. And it's like, she could have never the, had the, that scene with Doyle. No, and, like, the chemistry already is, mm-hmm. like, oh, you have something special here. And it's, like, it's just this one piece that wasn't quite working. Right. And then you slot another option in, and it's, like... Oh, now it makes oh, total sense. Yeah. Well, and, and I- like, I don't know if it works as well if in the first episode of Angel, Wesley shows up. Like, that just feels a little yeah. bit contrived. And, like, I do think there is something to... It takes time for all of these people to, to come like, together. migrate mm-hmm. to L.A. and, like, get together. But I also think it's sad that we had nine episodes that just could have had this, you know? I think, yeah. But I guess, again, I'm, I'm curious how much you think, and I think that this is due to the actor's portrayal versus the writing, but I do also feel, and, and also how much of this is derived from the fact that Wesley is character in season three of Buffy, but there is, again, something they're able to much more quickly get across who he is and why he's there. Whereas like Doyle was like, What's your backstory? Oh, also, I don't care. <laughs> well, like with Wesley, it's like, oh, he thinks he's a rogue demon hunter. He's not that at all. He's totally hapless, but also he knows a lot of research. He's valuable for research. And it's like, great. I understand who you are and why you're here. Whereas with Doyle, it was like, it took us eight episodes to get into back ep- um, his backstory. And even then it was like, not that fulfilling. Whereas well, like, I, he, I have oh, a question. Mm-hmm. Do you think that works on the same level? Because I agree. Like, there's an element of shorthand here that, like, we don't have to explore Wesley's backstory because we already know it from Buffy. Mm-hmm. And, like, also, you're right. Like, it's there's, even if you don't know some of that, like, I think it's clear. clear the research yeah. and all of that. Yeah. yeah. But do you think that that works as well if you've never seen Buffy? I don't think it would work as well. But I yeah. still think that they're pulling off both in terms of writing and in terms of acting that visual shorthand. In the way, like I do, I do think that the way that you know they have these slow lead-ins to him on a motorcycle, and as soon as we see him get off the motorcycle, it's clear that he has no business being on one or in a leather jacket. Like I think that is the sort of element that's like, oh, you don't need to know his entire history to understand what that's conveying. So I think that th- those are the kinds of things that they have more successfully written. You don't need yeah. to know who his family is and why he's in America and why he's in LA to understand that he's trying to be a thing that he's not. <laughs> Well, and that's what's interesting, too, is, like, that portrayal very quickly goes out the window. Yeah. Like, Wesley becomes studious. Like, I mean, he falls into the role that he should have been in to begin right. with. But, like, that element of him trying to be something else kind of goes away true. pretty quickly. That's true. Um, it takes a little longer for the, like, hapless librarian to kind of... Shed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
you know, like he's still wearing suits at this point mm-hmm. and, you know, all of this. But um, I, I do think there's also like, um, you know, he and Charisma Carpenter always had kind of this fun chemistry right. of like, you know, thankfully they like nip that in the bud, yeah. thing in the bud. <laughs> and, and it ties in really well to the episode where like Cordelia is trying to kiss literally everyone <laughs> to get rid of this gift yeah. and she kisses Wesley and there's a brief reference to their last kiss. Yeah. And, um, you know, but that's all it is. Like they're not, it's going clear to, that they're like, not going to pursue that. Yeah. yeah. And it's, but it's like, at least you've like addressed it. And mm-hmm. then you, cause the last time they interacted was like very awkward yes. and like, Cordelia had this weird crush on him and all of this. And it's like, I do love that they address it Mm -hmm. quickly, but it's like shut down and it's like also played for a great comedic moment. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think I, I don't know because I don't think a lot of the actors on either Buffy or, um, Angel Angel got a lot of recognition for doing really good work a lot of the time. (laughs) But I think Alexis Denisoff is someone who really never got. Yeah, I agree with you. Because I think this is something that I think, um, was in one of the commentaries I listened to about his introduction to um, Buffy mm-hmm. was, you know, he was playing this like hapless, you know, kind of George Lazenby type Bond mm-hmm. character, but like he's also really good at it. Like he's yeah. good at whatever he's being asked to do. And like here on Angel, especially as, and especially as his arc progresses, like I know, I he's, your fav- I know he's your favorite. I know you he love is. it. I, I also like it a lot. Yeah. It, what they do with the character of Wesley to me, regardless of whether you think it goes in a direction that's good or bad, and I think I'm, there are parts where I'm like, I'm not on board, but I also like see what is really good about this. But I think throughout it all, whatever he's asked to do, whatever makes sense or doesn't make sense, Alexis Denisov is like constantly very good yeah. at this sh- on the show. Yeah. And I think he doesn't get a lot of recognition for it. Yeah. This is really the only like role he's ever had that like he's known for, yeah. right? He did a few guest spots on How I Met Your Mother, yeah. but we know why he was allowed to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, but he, as Wesley, is this, like, kind of unsung hero on this show of, like, yeah. he's comedic when he needs to be. He's serious yeah. and the whole yeah. time doing it in, like, a fake British accent. Right. So, no, I mean, I, that, I agree. That is believable enough that everyone thinks he's British. And so. I guess that was kind of the point that I was trying to make earlier is that, yes, they've, I think, written him well into this particular episode, but I really think he's the reason that it works right off the bat. He's the one that is like, oh, as soon as he's on screen, he belongs there. And that has everything to do with, I think, his acting and not to do with the show. Because I have to wonder if, like, behind the scenes there was an element of, like, okay, Doyle's not working. We we think we want to get rid of him. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. later they're going to claim they always knew they want to get rid of him. But you can't have a cast built on two people. No. And, like, I I have to hope to God that they were recognizing that they could not make Kate a regular of this ensemble. I I mean, exactly, exactly. Because when yeah. we're going to talk, so, with, yeah. so I think I can imagine there are these conversations of like, well, who do we bring in? And I'm sure there was an element of like, we probably should bring in a known entity mm-hmm. because like Doyle was already a misfire mm-hmm. of introducing this new person, and and you do end up with a core cast of Angel that is entirely 100 percent transplanted from Buffy. Right. So I don't but think it, that there's whatever. anything yeah. <laughs> necessarily wrong with that, especially I think when you they probably have these conversations of say, what about Alexis? Yeah. Like. He, he was went, always so he's reliable. so good on Buffy <laughs> yeah. and like can bring this energy and this is the energy that we think that we need mm-hmm. and I think they just it clicks yeah it works really well I just would like just to say it one more time the end of this episode when they're sitting no, around I, that, I just re- I yeah. really felt fulfilled and I was like this is where this show is supposed to be going this is when they've at least started to find their footing um 
But yeah. Because I don't think the rest of the episode is really anything that special. Uh, but I think yeah. that final scene yeah. is what makes this a great episode. I did <laughs> like this episode, though. As much as I like yeah. skipped over all of the intricate plot twists, I think that this was also one of the more successful um, Angel episodes where they're doing kind of the right mix of like, it's sort of a... What do I want to say? I guess I just... I. I think this was a good one in that one of the early on distinctions between Angel and Buffy, obviously this is going to get muddled down, muddy down the road, but like in Angel, everything is a lot more gray. So like, I think it was a nice introduction that after the last episode where we get this like revelation to Cordelia that Doyle was part demon and we get a lot of discussion about half human, half demons and just demons in general that like their next client is a demon and that, you know, it seemed now that we've had that last experience, you know, Cordelia's not really put off by this. They And I just think that that part is interesting. And like that guy also kind of gives a big speech about how like, well, I'm bad, but I'm not like evil. Also, so I, I mean, it kind of undercuts itself because by the end of the episode, he is evil. But yeah, but I don't know. I just I think those kinds of elements are interesting. And like, that's the stuff that I, I enjoy when Angel goes into the kind of gray area of demon life in L.A. Whereas, you know, in Buffy up until much later seasons, it's fairly more distinct that demons are bad and humans are good anyway so i guess i'm saying that is also a thing that i enjoyed watching and i enjoyed that wilferman hart came back i hate when they're not yes. in episodes <laughs> well because i think it's a struggle now watching these early episodes and realizing how little they were actually in them mm-hmm. especially given the importance they have at the end of the season mm-hmm. And I forgot how long it took to really focus on them as like yeah. an antagonist for Angel yeah. because we're, yes, okay, we're trying to build this world, but like it's frustrating to see them peppered in and like not really knowing, used. <laughs> yeah, yeah, knowing it's going to be more, but like now it's just kind of like, okay, but yeah. like they literally have so little to do with it. And on one hand, I kind of get it because you're establishing their like omnipresence right, in right, this world right. but also in a way that's in the shadows and maybe takes a little bit of time for the characters to notice but I think it would work better as the slow burn if they had found some other thing that were working in the foreground like really it's because all the other efforts that they have don't really go anywhere that's I think why yeah. the Wolfram and Hart thing feels so ill-used is because like you have it right there and you're not doing it but um Oh, yeah, I guess, and just kind of to reiterate, the like, you know, in this episode, when they're hunting, they think they're hunting a Kungai demon for a while or whatever, and they end up going to this, like, demon spa. spa? Yeah. <laughs> That's, like, in Chinatown in L.A. or something. Uh, I guess it was Koreatown. Um, but it, I don't know. Like, there was something about that, too, that is, like, I really like when they get into the daily lives of demons in L.A. Like, I think that part is very charming. Like I want to, I yeah. do want to see more about how do these people get around and what are they doing, you know? But I guess in terms of, I think <laughs> so I, a, so a little reveal to the listeners is that we're taping this episode and the next one back to back. So I'm, I, I just pulling a little bit from the next episode of Angel, like the things that don't work for me for that are how much they try and like, that's, I think, why the next episode didn't work for me, because Kate is, like, oblivious to the fact that any of this is going on. And I'm like, how do you live in this city where there's whole spas for demons and you've never heard of a demon? Like, what? <laughs> so, anyway. I, I think the idea is, like, they're kind of maybe <clears throat> in places where, like, you know, I, I don't know how deep into this they were really thinking, but I do think there's something to the fact that the demons are seeking out these refuges in places like Koreatown mm-hmm. and, you know maybe with people who are slightly more 
open to the idea of like demons existing hmm. but also maybe the idea is like there are places that are sort of more off the path i don't know i don't know to what extent this is true but i have to imagine like you know as is common i think with like immigrant communities and like other it's sort of more self-contained and almost right. maybe self-policed hmm. where you're not relying on the established security elements of your city to like do things so like maybe the police don't spend that much time there maybe I don't know to what extent that's true, and I don't know if that's, like, a totally wrong conjecture to take, mm-hmm. but, like, you know, yeah, I, I don't guess, think it's far-fetched. I guess my greater point is just that I, I think when Angel, the show, succeeds is when it's leaning into this sort of demon life and gray area element, and when it doesn't succeed is when it sort of tries to lean more into the Buffy model, because they're, yeah. they're the reason that they're different shows is because they're different shows, so it's like when you try and pull too much from Buffy, it doesn't make sense anymore in this universe as it's kind of growing into its own I mean this is something that I was thinking about um well between this episode and then the next one too but like you know Buffy is a show about Buffy the vampire slayer Mm -hmm. and as much as they do expand past this vampire mandate on Buffy Mm -hmm. and especially more as the seasons go on I think even more so than Angel, though, it's still a show about this vampire element where, like, yes, Angel is a vampire, but they so rarely deal with vampires. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's <laughs> not a lot of vampires. So I think it's, like, Angel is our more of our entrance into this wider world of demons mm-hmm. and also to the idea that demons are, like, never on Buffy did we ever see an... Um, a suggestion that demons are like trying to make it in the world, right, you know, right, like, right. whereas on Angel, we've already been introduced to whole communities of half demons, yeah. um, demons assimilating in society yeah. and demons like just lurking literally around every corner. Yeah. And like, you'll get a few like, yeah, okay, the pilot, he's dealing with a vampire and the next episode he's dealing with a vampire and there are some one offs here and there. Right, and then but- eventually there's vampire drama down the road. But like, they're weak to weak villains for the most part. Aren't. Yeah. Are demons, yeah. I think. Or humans. And I don't think that's an accident. Yeah. I think it's, or humans, yeah. But I think that's angels exploring more this, like, mm-hmm. the, the, the gray areas, as you were right. saying, of, like, you know, demons exist in the world, but it's not quite as, com- like, as uncomplicated as demons bad, humans good. Mm-hmm. And also, a lot of times, humans are aligning themselves with the demons, and maybe sometimes the humans are the more evil element right. of, like, I mean... We take Wolfram and Hart. Yeah, like, yeah so they're staffed almost entirely a by humans. <laughs> staffed exclusively by humans, uh-huh. but in service to demons or so, evil humans. Yeah, yeah, or evil. Well, the humans are evil, but the demons are run like the senior partners. It's just, it's implied are demons, right? No, no, no. Sorry, I'm saying their clients are not only demons. Some of their clients are e- also oh, evil humans. Yes. Yes, but but that that itself is the best microcosm of this great right, area. Of, right. Like you know, like this is the problem we've talked about on Buffy, where like this insistence that like having a soul right. makes you good. Right. And like those episodes where Buffy's like someone with a soul did this. Right. And, and it's like, yeah, like, duh. <laughs> uh, yeah, duh. Like murders happen. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, and I think Angel never shies away from that. Right. Like, I think they're taking that and just going further, which is, I think what makes Angel a more adult show. Right. And I think also what makes it distinct from Buffy. Right. Um, so yeah. Yeah. 
to sum up, Wesley's good. <laughs> and not to, I know we've talked about this final scene a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I love it. we kind it. of already mentioned it. But I, I do want to say, like, my favorite thing about that scene is the whole time you're watching it where Wesley's, like, leaving and then finding an excuse to say one last thing yeah. and then coming back in. But the entire time he's doing this little song and dance, Angel's making him a plate of eggs. Right. Like, Angel yeah. knows that he's going to stay. Yeah. And, like, and I think yeah. Angel would have eventually invited him. And I think Cordelia like, knows, outright. too. Like, I think she's just yeah. messing with him at that point because it's funny. Yeah. Like, not because she's but, not going to invite him but I think that's what works too is like right. Wesley shows up and like immediately they don't have to say anything but they're both like oh yeah he's part of the team yeah. now and like yeah and we'll see in the next episode of Angel like it's not quite as seamless as that but mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you know the the idea that Wesley is here to stay is like yeah pretty solid so he um, is already breaking my heart though and from the get-go it's like he's so I, I'm so sad for him and the way that his life has turned out because obviously in Buffy you know he's had a you don't root for him in Buffy because he's clearly on the wrong side of a lot of issues, but he's not doing anything that's wrong. And he's certainly doing his very best. And so it's like when things keep yeah. not working out for him, it's very upsetting. It's like, he's really trying hard and it's just not working. Wesley his heart is, is in the right place. the biggest source of heartbreak yes. on Angel. Yes. Um, and that will happen. But also, so that brings up a point that I did want to talk about where on Buffy, we haven't quite seen the fallout of her decision to fire the council. Right. Where like, yes, Giles is unemployed and um, he's sort of figuring out his role mm-hmm. in Buffy's life. And like, you kind of see that. But uh, with Wesley, we see the wider implications of that where Wesley, either unfairly, mm-hmm. probably unfairly, was to have you know he he was in charge of two slayers mm-hmm. one of whom fired the council and the other tried to kill the other slayer <laughs> right. and, and went him, evil yeah. so <laughs> it is now in a coma so it's not that they're wrong to fire him right. but he does it does feel that he got unfairly blamed for what happened right. right um but we're seeing the wider um implications of buffy's actions of firing the council where the council then fired everyone at least else according, like fires wesley yeah. because of that but also you kind of get this idea that the council is at loose ends of like well sh- what do we do now yeah. Right? yeah yeah no slayer like what is our purpose and so i think it's to protect wesley from the inner workings of like oh we have like literally nothing to do now mm-hmm. because he's supposed to be a watcher but the slayer doesn't want to watch her that's so. interesting yeah yeah hmm. um so he's hunting the mythical rogue demon <laughs> <laughs> i just love the way he says rogue demon hunter <laughs> yeah it's really charming <laughs> but my favorite thing is cordelia's first thing is what's a rogue yeah demon? <laughs> oh boy uh, but I think it's the way she says it, not a rogue demon. She's like, what's a rogue demon? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I like that because that's the sort of mistake that I make in my life day to day. Sometimes I just really get lost in the, in the grammar of things where I'm just expecting... Like words are hard. I'm expecting one kind of <laughs> sentence and you say it a different way and I just can't keep up. So I support that. Cordelia, I probably would have said it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, okay, so uh, that is Parting Gifts. Mm-hmm. Which I think gives us a few gifts. It I, does. It was a good episode. It is, yeah. Um, next time we've got um, Doomed and Somnambulist. Oh, I can't even say that word. <laughs> I think that's yeah, how no, you, you did say it. it. You did it. All right. I get the M and the um, swapped in my head. I had to look up what it means, oh, but we'll talk about that yeah. next week. And then um, I think before we get into our pop culture recs, mm-hmm. hmm. I think I'm Team Wesley this week. Oh, I'm Team Gentleman. Just okay, that's totally fair, and I wish I had thought of Wesley it. Wesley is also I'm just, the second choice. 
Yeah. Really excited that Wesley's finally here. Yeah. So Yeah, that's true. And and he he doesn't really save the day, but no. he, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. He I don't know if he deserves that honor this no, week, but he I'm going to give it to he him totally just for does. showing up in LA. I agree. Yeah. Um though team gentleman is pretty good. Yeah. Um so do you have any pop culture recs? I do. Um Okay. <laughs> I, we mentioned this lot. We ended up talking about this accidentally, I think last week, but um I've been watching Marvel's The Runaways on Hulu. And I remember, oh, you started watching I it? I haven't enjoy, started I it yet. I'm enjoying it. I, it. It's... The things that it gets wrong are very frustrating. Like, it's maddening at times. But on the whole, I think the pacing is really good. And it's, like, it's definitely not, like, the best show I've ever watched. But they... It's it's very intriguing. I like the premise and I want to know how this mystery like it's not a mystery, but I want to see how these things are going to get resolved. And there's a lot of secrets. It's clear from the pilot episode that there's like lots of little secrets to kind of for them to uncover as the season goes on. And I'm very interested in what all of those are. Also, James Marsters is in it. He's so (laughs) awful. He's the worst. And it's very uh, actually very fitting. He's great at playing that kind of character. Um, there's some missteps with the kid actors sometimes. They definitely have, like, a Don... I was complaining to Alex, like, a lot about this yesterday, where one of the characters... Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a story about um, a bunch of teenagers who find out that their parents are maybe supervillains. <laughs> um, and so they kind of... What they do with that information and how they... What their shared history is and all that stuff is kind of the premise of the show. Um, one of the characters is, is a few years younger than the rest of the teenagers and um, she's somebody's like kind of younger sister or whatever and like they're totally doing the Dawn thing where it's like sometimes they write her like she's five and it's like oh. why would you why would she have said or done that thing like she is supposed to be younger and she is supposed to maybe be a little less mature or a little less you know a little more naive but it's like they just had this one episode where I was like what are you doing why would she would never do this thing um, so that part I don't love but on the whole it's very fun. And they have great, like the episodes end on the best, like not cliffhangers, but like the best dramatic moments where you're like, Oh my God, I need to know what happens next. Which is, I think uh, every, every show is not good at that. No. And I I intend to watch it. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, my TV watching has like plummeted Mm. in the last year. And I, I don't know how that happened. Mm. Like I still record the same number of shows. I just rarely watch them. Yeah. I guess. And I think, yeah, so, like, I have all these lists of shows, like, I want to watch this and that, and I'm, like, I I know I'm going to keep saying that, but I honestly, like, don't know when it's going to happen. I think it's a good (laughs) candidate for background watching in a way that most dramas, I think most, like, action dramas are, like, oh, I prefer to just, like, sit there and watch it, but, you know, it's not, like, it's not something that you can't miss. It's good. It's not so good that you need to devote a whole hour at a time to it, you know? So I think it's a, I mean, it's, it's a very good, like, background show. I have been... It's a show that I was really excited mm-hmm. about when I heard about it. Like, I, I, I read some of the comics a few years mm-hmm. ago, and I heard they were making the show. Hulu was doing it. So I was like, okay, well, it's not like CBS mm-hmm. doing it. And then I heard some of the casting, and I was like, this is going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And then I just haven't really watched it. And then the mistake of that is then you start to hear some of the, like, so-so reviews. Yeah, yeah. And then... And then the, the, like, urgency goes away. I mean, I definitely didn't go into it with any expectations, and that's also probably part of why I'm, like, enjoying it, because it's just, like, a f- it's very fun for me and not too serious. Yeah. Anyway, recommend it. What, cool. what are you doing? Well, I'm going to talk about a podcast <laughs> that is not new, but is new to me. Okay. Um, and 
then I want to shout out to whoever I forget on Twitter, like alerted me to this and like, not even me, like I just saw it on my Twitter feed. Um, so the New York times has a, um, podcast that they do on pop music called Popcast. Okay. Um, and it's been around since like 2014. Hmm. So, but I didn't know about Mm -hmm. it. Um, but the reason I like, was like, oh, I need to listen to this, is they just did an episode about Ashley Simpson. Oh, I see you were mentioning that, and I was like, where did you find that? Uh, <laughs> I just want to say this is one of the best podcast episodes I have listened to, okay. like, in years. That's very, it, that sounds interesting. Okay, it was funny, because this is a bunch of music critics sitting around talking about Ashley Simpson, and not badly. Like, that's what was mm-hmm. crazy, is, like, so I guess it's, I've been listening to some of their back catalog, and I guess it's been, like, a running theme of like they always bring up Ashley Simpson. Okay. <laughs> so like listeners were finally like you have to do an Ashley Simpson episode. That's pretty funny. So they did and like I for one like forgot half of her songs yeah. and then all of a sudden like they're playing like pieces of me and like autobiography yeah. and like all this stuff and I was like <laughs> I felt like I had time warped. Oh, like God. I was like this is amazing and then also they're talking about her as like in a post Avril world and like mm-hmm. a pre um even pre Kesha and like pre-Paramore and like all this stuff and like trying to find Ashley Simpson's place in music history which (laughs) is a sentence that like no one should ever really be uttering but like Uh, also arguing for some of her like artistic merits as well as like her downfalls mm -hmm. and also like I think the next episode they're going to do is about her like tabloid presence Mm -hmm. um they did briefly mention apparently one of her songs was about Lindsay Lohan getting mad at her for supposedly hitting on Wilmer Valderrama Uh, which I forgot I mean there was this great aside where they were talking about this early 2000s world where like gossip websites weren't really as prevalent Mm -hmm. and so like people were really still getting a lot of their gossip from like Us Weekly Mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. there was a stretch for like two years where like Us Weekly was literally like the Lindsay Lohan show and like (laughs) or like Newlyweds or um Uh, Nicole Richie or like do you remember that era like it was like a little bit yeah yeah and I had totally forgotten about this and I was like, oh my God. And then they were talking about her show. Yeah, I remember and like, that. I forgot how early it was. Mm-hmm. And then I had this awful moment where I remembered going to the hairdresser and telling her that I wanted Ashley Simpson's haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Which I actually, she failed horribly uh, at giving to me. I just got like a bob basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this was a moment in time and like I totally forgot about it and it was wonderful to be reminded of it and even if you don't want to watch like listen to this podcast mm-hmm. I highly recommend this episode yeah, because <laughs> if you are if you were a senior in high school in 2004 or around that time you're gonna know exactly what they're talking about like yeah. all of this yeah I had a and, roommate and it was freshman year of college amazing. who was insistent on listening to autobiography the album a lot and I was very annoyed about it (laughs) well so this is what boggled my mind because I forgot I mean this is like she was right at the end of like the death of the music industry Mm -hmm. you know as a sales platform basically her first album went triple platinum oh my god her second album went triple platinum oh god and her last album went platinum Ah, I didn't know that I didn't, I, like, it would not have occurred to me that that's a, a yeah. statistic about Ashley yeah. Simpson, yeah, but it's true. Pretty wild. Um, they, you know, they talked about her SNL breakdown mm-hmm. and all this stuff too, but it was a wonderful episode, mm-hmm. I have to say. Okay. I was like, I would probably listen just, to that. <laughs> it's like an hour and like, I was just like into every second of it. So, but, but then I've gone back since and listened to some of their back okay. catalog of episodes. That does sound it's fun. really good. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to them talk about Taylor Swift's new album, mm-hmm. about her last album, about, um, 
Shania Twain and like all, I mean, it's just like really interesting. Like they're talking about, they're really interested, I think, in mapping the course of pop right. music. So you get a lot of discussion about the place of artists in time. Mm-hmm. There was a really thoughtful discussion about Pink and Kelly Clarkson. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good. Okay. I just, that sounds really new favorite fun. podcast, yeah. I think. Um, mm. Okay. On that note, um, I will talk to you next yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Bye. Once More with Commentary is produced by me, Allie. And me, Ginny. Our theme music is from the album Rockingham by Nerf Herder. And our podcast logo is by Ryan Cooney. You can email us at scoobies at oncemorewithcommentary.com with any feedback, questions, comments that you have, and find us on Twitter and Instagram at omwcpodcast. You can also find our most recent episodes and any show notes at oncemorewithcommentary.com. <laughs>